Today I'll be preaching on Isaiah. It's actually in Isaiah chapter 63, starting in verse 15. And you'll see a translation of this passage in your hand in your bulletin in the handout provided for you. This is from Isaiah chapter 63, verse 15, all the way to chapter 65, verse 12. Now, the reason why it's such a long passage is because it's like a long conversation or basically more like this. Two long prayers and then God will continue to answer the prayer of Isaiah. Today, we're going to look at part of the answer. Next week, we'll look at the continuing answer that God gives to Isaiah's two prayers. Now, before I read this extended passage to you, I want to explain to you a backdrop or um, a background that is the basis of Isaiah's two prayers. And it has to do with day one and day two of creation. On On the first day of creation, God made the angel heavens. The angel heavens is the throne room. The angel heavens is what God created whenever it said in the beginning, God set, uh, created the heavens and the earth. That first mention of the heavens there on day one is the angel heavens. You cannot see it right now. It's above us, beyond us, and the sky hides it from us. It's on the second day of creation that God put the position of the starry heavens above us And then he filled it up on day four. So what happened after Genesis chapter one, there are two heavens. There's one heaven where God is, his presence is, and all the angels. And the second heaven is what you see. The second heaven is what you look up at. And it's a big barrier. It prevents you from seeing God and the throne room. These two heavens or what Isaiah is going to refer to in this lengthy passage of Scripture. So, let me read this passage, and then I'll I'll begin with a word of prayer. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 15. He says, Look down from heaven and see, from your holy habitation and glorious habitation, where are your zeal and your strength the yearning of your heart and your mercies toward me, they are, are they restrained? Doubtless you are our father, and Abra- though Abraham did not know us and Jacob does not know us, yet you, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from everlasting is your name. O Lord, why have you made us, us go, why have you made us stray from your ways and harden our heart so that we do not fear you? Return for your servant's sake the tribes of your inheritance. Your holy people have possessed it but a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those of old over whom you never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens. This is the starry heavens. That you would come down that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns twigs, as fire causes water to boil and to make your name known to our adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. For you did awesome things for which we did not expect. You came down 
and the mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who rejoice and do righteousness and who remembers your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? We are like an unclean thing and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind has taken us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter, and we are all the work of your hand. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please, look, we all are your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful temple where our fathers praised you is burned up with fire and all our pleasant things are laid waste. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so severely? Now here's the Lord's answer. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said... Here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts, a people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of bricks, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, who eat pig's flesh and the broth of abominable things in her vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, I will repay, even repay into their bosom. Your iniquities and iniquities of your fathers together, says the Lord who have burned incense in the mountains and blasphemed me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure the former work into their bosom. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in a cluster and one says, do not destroy it for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servants sake that I may not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah an heir of my mountains, my elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall be a fold of flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. But you are those who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who prepare a table for a, good, a, a God called fortune, and who furnish a drink offering for a God called destiny. Therefore, I will number you for the sword and you shall all bow down to the slaughter because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not hear, but did evil before my eyes and chose that which I do not delight. That's the first part of God's answer to Isaiah's prayers. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will open this passage of Scripture to our hearts. Give us your insight 
and your encouragement and your comfort in Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, throughout the Bible, during times of difficulty, there's this hope and there's this expectation that God would show up and make things right. That He would actually come down and and destroy the wicked and rescue His people and bring salvation. This is essentially what we see in Isaiah's prayers. You'll notice that the first prayer that he makes here, he is talking to God in his throne room. When he says, look down from heaven and see from your holy habitation, he's speaking about the first heaven, the heaven of heavens, the highest heaven. That's where God is in his glorious presence. And he's asking God to actually just simply look down and see what's going on, Lord. He's frustrated. In verse 15, Isaiah is frustrated that God seems to have restrained his mercy. In verse 16, Isaiah says that Abraham and Jacob have basically died a long time ago. They're not even there to help. In verse 17, God's judgment has actually hardened the people's hearts so that the people will not repent and turn to the Lord because God has even hardened their hearts. In verse 18, Isaiah says that enemies have trampled down the temple and this is Israel's condition. So he's asking God, Lord, look down, see, do something. Now you think about this. Isaiah's prayer at this particular time is very similar to yours or ours whenever we think about our American culture the depravity of our American culture, the insanity of our American culture. Lord, look down. Do you not see what they're teaching in public schools? Do you not see how much crime and corruption is in the highest levels of government? Do you not see all the violence and the destruction of our society? Lord, please look down from your angel heavens and do something. Look at this. That's the type of prayer that Isaiah is making to God. That's the first prayer. The second prayer, you will see it in your bulletin, it starts in chapter 64, verse 1. And here he talks about the lower heavens or the starry heavens that you can see above in the sky. Here he says this, Lord, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Notice he repeats this in verse 3, saying that you did awesome things in the past. You came down and the mountain shook. Now, most likely when he's referring to this historical coming down, he's referring to Mount Sinai. On Mount Sinai, God came down. He showed up. He was on top of the mountain. Uh, Moses went up there and got the Ten Commandments. The mountain shook so bad, the people were scared to even go before the mountain. So he's remembering biblical history. And he's praying, God, would you just tear open that sky? Remove the sky... And come down again. And he knows that when God comes down and shows up in the world, he's going to bring his justice. He's going to bring his redemption. And he's expecting God's mercy in verses 4 through 7. However, God is silent. He's remembering that God is silent. And he's saying, Lord, break your silence. Do something. Show up. In verses 8 and 9, he's reminded that, that God is the potter. And they are the clay. And so he's hoping that God, when God shows up, that God will be merciful and not be hard on them. And he's also reminded that their whole society 
is being burnt to the ground. Their temple is burnt. The destruction, the wicked have brought destruction and he's praying, Lord, please don't keep silent or you'll, be, you'll afflict us so severely with your silence. So at this point, you can see how Isaiah's prayer refers to the first heaven. Isaiah's prayer refers to the second heaven and he wants God to show up. Now, at this point in this, in this sermon, I want to pause and explain more of the substance of Isaiah's prayer. Because you've heard it say before, be careful what you pray for, because you just might get it. Well, this is what's happening here. Whenever Isaiah is asking God to tear open the starry heavens and remove that barrier, we're going to see that Isaiah is going to get more than he bargains for. What does it mean for God to tear open the starry heavens and to come down? There's three things that it means. We're going to see this application here. First of all, the first thing it means when God tears open the starry heavens and comes down, it means that there will be a new creation. In other words, creation itself would have to revert back to day one of creation. The reason why that's important is because on day one of creation, the angel heavens and the earth were together. That's how creation started. On the second day, that's when God put the star, started to put the starry heavens in, in between it. That's when God started to separate the angel heavens from the earth. So when Isaiah is praying, Lord, tear up that starry heavens above us. Tear it off and come down. He's basically essentially asking, start over. Go back to day one. Make a new creation. The second thing that Isaiah is, whether he's intending this or not to pray, but it, what, what the substance of this prayer is, the second substance of tearing up the starry heavens, what it means is this, is that there'll be a marriage of heaven and earth. Because if you remove the starry heavens, you're going to inevitably bring together God's throne room and earth and put them together. They will be married. They'll be joined together. You will have removed the veil of the galaxies and heaven and earth come together. This is symbolized, especially in the ancient world, whenever a lady, a young lady was getting married, she would wear a veil over her face, and after the man and the woman exchanged their vows, he would raise the veil and kiss her. Raising that veil, showing that there's no more barrier between the two, they come together in holy matrimony. Same point about God removing the starry heavens. When he removes those heavens, heaven and earth come together. That veil is removed, and there's a marriage of heaven and earth. So this is all good news, experiencing a new creation, experiencing a marriage of heaven and earth. But then here's where Isaiah may get a little bit more than he bargained for with his prayer of removing the starry heavens. And that is this. The third point about what happens is that the wrath of God would be fully unleashed against the wicked. Because think about this. What is now protecting this world from God's wrath 
and presence and judgment and full fury. It's actually the starry heavens above us. And I'm speaking literally. The starry heavens above us, the infinite galaxies above us, is like an infinite distance between this wicked world and God Himself. If you remove all of that and you bring it right, come right in the presence of God, then God has to respond to the full evil of the world. This is exactly what the gospel or the gospel author John wrote about in Revelation chapter six. In Revelation chapter six, John explains in very symbolic terms the tearing away of the starry heavens. It's a fulfillment of what Isaiah was praying for. And then what does God do as a result of coming close to the wicked world? It is the wrath of the Lamb is poured out on them. Here is, I, here is Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 and following. He says this, John writes, I looked And when he opened the sixth seal, behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of the heavens fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by by the mighty wind. The heavens, that's the starry heavens, was split apart as a scroll when it's rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the land, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and to the rocks, they said, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? Whenever John is writing this, he is using graphic biblical imagery to explain and predict the destruction of Jerusalem. Because as a result of Jesus' work, there will be a new creation. As a result of Jesus' work, there will be a new marriage of heaven and earth coming together. And as a result of Jesus' work, the world will be fully exposed in the presence of of Christ, And there is a, not the final, but there is a fulfillment of this that happened 40 years after the death of Jesus. Whenever the wrath of the Lamb came upon Jerusalem. And so the symbolism here is that they got fully exposed before the presence of God. And God did something brand new in the world. He made a new creation. He brought heaven and earth together through Jesus Christ. And as a result, the old Israel was done away with. This is why God's answer in chapter 65 is quoted by Paul in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans chapter 10. Do you see in your handout, Isaiah chapter 65 verse 1, God says, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. Paul quotes this in in Romans chapter 10, verse 20. Because in Romans chapter 10, what Paul is talking about is how the old Israel has been set aside. The old Israel has been judged. 
The old Israel has been rejected by God because they have rejected the covenant. And God is moving on with a new Israel and growing his church. And Paul says, Isaiah says boldly. I was found by those who did not seek me. I was revealed by those who did not ask for me. And then Paul quotes the very next verse. In Isaiah 65, verse 2, Paul says, But concerning Israel, the old Israel, God says, I have stretched out my hands all day long to rebellious people who walk in their own way what is not good. What you see here is Paul understands that Isaiah's prayers have been answered. God has come down. He split the heavens open. The righteousness of God appeared upon the earth and He conquered the world in Christ. That's the theme in the book of Romans. He's won the victory over the devil. And in doing all of this, He has made a new nation, a new people. He's moved forward with redemptive history and He's done something new. It's a new creation. It's a new union of heaven and earth. And in doing that, He also judged the old and implanted the new in the world. That's the, that's, the Lord, that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this part of the prayer that is answered, notice that this, this passage I read to you today ends with death. Notice this, verse 12. I will number you for the sword. You shall bow down to the slaughter. All this, destruction will come upon them. Now, why does it end this way? Because this is just the beginning. Death never has the last say. What happens is what God speaks about later in Isaiah 65. And if you want to turn there, this is kind of getting forward to my next sermon. I won't preach on it now, but I will a little bit. Look at verse 17. He says, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. What you see here is that the death and destruction that God brings upon the old does not have the last say. God makes everything new. Now, yes, this does apply in the future to the second coming of Christ, but you have to appreciate how this first applied in the first coming of Christ and how God did something new in the first coming of Christ and brought a new creation to the world through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why this is rather practical is because you see that this is how God often works. God likes to bring new creations. Let me apply this to us this way. Nationally, the death, America may end up go, be going through a death and resurrection phase. We think about how hard or horrible things are in our nation when you, when you watch the news. And you may be praying like Isaiah, Lord... Open the heavens up. Lord, come down. Bring your justice. You may be getting, be getting more than what you pray for. You'll be getting some type of justice where God does come down and destroy the wicked, but he's going to do something new in the future. We talk about Thanksgiving. We can look to the past and be very thankful for what God has done in the past. But let me suggest something to you. You can be thankful for what God is going to do in the future. 
you know that God is going to do something new. He's going to bring about new creation. He brings civilizations through deaths and resurrections. This is how he dealt with the world 2,000 years ago. And in a small way, he can do the same thing through a nation. Bring it through a type of death and resurrection where the wicked are exposed, they're brought down, and righteousness prevails. You kind of see this with the recent news of the, of the cryptocurrency exchange um, going bankrupt to FTX. If y'all caught the news on that, all the corruption, all the fraud, all the finances is so good that it got completely brought down and bankrupt because it was used fraudulently and for evil purposes. Things like that happens. God sprinkles his justice here and there upon wicked and corrupt, looking forward to a new future. Also, you can apply this personally. People go through deaths and resurrections in their life. Don't always look to the past. Look to the future where God says, I'm coming down. I'm splitting the heavens open. I'm going to make something new. We're going to bring everything back to day one of your life. And there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered or come to mind. This is how a Christian, when you see how God has worked in the past, over history, over circumstances, and 2,000 years ago, on that macro scale, you apply it to yourself personally. If God can deal with the world like that, He can also deal with me like that. He, I'm so thankful that God can have a good future where he's going to bring something new that I cannot even, even dream, plan, or imagine, but it's better than I can ask for. That is a, a picture of how you can apply Isaiah's gospel here, good news, to your life. So always remember, God loves to bring things to its death where it begins to plant a seed and bring it up to a resurrected future in more glorious future in to come. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that you are the living and true God, for you have strengthened us with your gospel. And the way you grabbed the world through the grace of Jesus Christ and brought about the new creation of your church, Lord, we pray that you'll give us the same confidence to look and be thankful for the good future that you're going to do for all of us. For, Lord, you have conquered this world of sin and Satan and death, and we have the security that you are with us, and you will grant us the victory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.